0: Uh, well, my name is Rebecca Johnson. I have the joy of working here at Veritas Church. There's a lot of you that I have not even had the chance to meet. I hope I get to meet you afterwards. Um, yeah, this, this is our fun night of the year. It is a, a great opportunity uh, to not be as scrappy as we normally are. Wouldn't you say that that's kind of the word for us these last couple years with our Christmas events? We had uh, an event, our very first women's event three years ago, I think, in a warehouse, which looks more like a dungeon. Um, we did that. and We kind of made it home. We loved it. We did what we could. We made it a little shabby chic. It was good stuff, and then got creative a couple more times going to different gyms. So it is fun to be home here in our building. If this is not your church home, if you don't have a church home, we would love to have you come and to join us. Um, As far as who we are as women's ministry, we do fun events like this a couple times a year. Um, Most of what we do is we study the Bible, and that's what I get the joy to do up here tonight just for like the next hour and a half. Just kidding. Just kidding. I won't be that long-winded, I promise. We'll get back, close down with some beautiful worship, but let's dig into God's Word behold the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call his name emmanuel which means god with us the angel's proclamation from the book of matthew is wonderfully familiar isn't it doesn't our mind's eyes start to paint this picture of the nativity right with the magi and the shepherds mary and joseph and as the focal point the christ child God in flesh, God in pudgy baby skin. Emmanuel, God with us, God no longer far off in the heavens, but God at hand, God near. It's really good news for us, but here's the problem with it. This story is so familiar. It's so familiar that I fear that it has lost its wonder. So I wonder if tonight you would be willing to venture off to a new Christmas scene. I wonder if you would be willing to go to the Old Testament to hear the Christmas story. Because the story of Emmanuel is the story of the whole Bible. The story of God to the rescue is the same on page 1 all the way to page 1,359. It's one big story, the story of God to the rescue. I'm saying that Christmas covers the whole Bible. That's really good news for those of us who like to stretch out our Christmas season as long as possible. My kids are sorting their Snickers from their Reese's. They still have their masks on, and I'm hauling the Christmas tree up from the basement. Come on, kids, get it out of here. We've got Christmas to celebrate. This night shows us that we can do that we can stretch out christmas as long as we want but we are going to rejoice in christmas not from maybe the stories that we are most familiar with not from the foot of the manger we're not even gonna look at it from under the jesse tree in isaiah 11 but we are going to look at the christmas story from exodus 13 and 14 Don't call me a Grinch. We will absolutely return to the wonder of the familiar. But I think we should dig a little bit first and see what treasures we can mine from Exodus. Let's see if we can peel back that familiar and be amazed once again. Be awakened to what should blow our mind that God is with his people. So in Exodus 13... Maybe you know the story. But God's people, the Israelites, have just been freed from Egyptian slavery. And by just, I mean like Egypt was in their rear view mirror. There was still dirt under their fingernails from mud, from brick making. Their backs still burned from the torn skin that came with lashings. After 400 years of silence. 400 years of silence from God, he came to his people and he rescued them. Through 10 plagues, God flexed his muscle, as one pastor says it. And on that 10th plague, God ransomed captive Israel, if you will, with the blood of the Passover lamb. So God rained down his power and his judgment on the Egyptians, that judgment providing the salvation for his people our story picks up just a page or two later. It says this in Exodus 13, by day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way and by night, in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. So the Lord reveals his presence to his people in this way, a pillar of cloud or a pillar of fire. God was making his presence obvious to his people. The fancy word for that is theophany. God making his nearness obvious to his people. Here he is with his people, leading them out of exile, as we hear in so many Christmas songs, and leading them home. Well, here's where we're gonna go tonight, ladies. The nearness of God when it is rightly realized both informs and inspires us in many ways. It indoctrinates our mind and it greatly encourages and comforts our hearts. I think the nomadic Israelites learn that. I think the shepherds at the manger would learn it. And I think we can learn it too. So what do we learn? Well, simply because God is with us, we learn about God. Right, that makes sense, right? In his nearness, he reveals his character. He reveals who he is, that he's personal, that he's all-knowing, that he's powerful, that he is kind, that he's faithful. But as he came close to the Israelite people, what they also learned is that he was very much unlike them. That, that he was completely pure, that he was without any needs that he would never change. Well, it begs the question, why would God do this? Why would God come and reveal himself to his people? Why would he do it in this way? And simply put, it's because they did not yet know who God was. They had probably heard stories passed down from generation to generation, stories about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob's sons, the story of Joseph, And then recently, what did they learn? They learned that God comes near enough at least to save. But beyond that, they did not know much about him. But now they were on a road trip. Road trips are the best way to get to know somebody, aren't they? I know this to be very, very true. The first day that I talked, the first time I ever spoke to my now husband, was when I got in the car with him from Des Moines and headed to the Rocky Mountains. Maybe not the safest thing, don't advise it. This was my first day ever with Matt, a 14 hour road trip alone in his car. When I got into that car in Des Moines, I did not know much about him at all. When I got out of the car in Colorado, I was pretty sure he was in love with me. (laughs) But it was throughout that road trip that I learned. What did I learn? I learned that Matt is patient and kind, that he's personal, that he asks great questions, that he loves to laugh, that he doesn't love to ask directions. But it was on a road trip that I got to know him, just like God and the Israelites. So let's pretend, ladies, let's go on this road trip. If you and I were among those women, among those Israelites women on this caravan, what would we learn? What would we learn about God? What would those pillars of cloud, those pillars of fire teach us about him? Imagine it with me, actually go there. Imagine us. We are in a caravan of up to two million people. And each day we would see this cloud lead us. And each night, this pillar of fire, this towering inferno. Each day we would be sojourning under the comfort of that cloud, shading us from the hot desert sun maybe I'd kind of look over at you with a look of bewilderment and say, God is with us? And then as we traveled by the light of that fire warming us as we traveled through the night, maybe I would squeeze your arm and, and half question, half state, half whisper, half giggle, God is with us? God is with us. He is no longer far off, but he is with us. He's traveling with us. God is with us now as we move in this space between our rescue and our inheritance. He is with us in these miles and in these days between Egypt and the promised land. God is going to be with us. No longer is he just transcendent, looming large in heaven, but he is imminent. He has come near. God with us. Our minds would be blown, ladies. He didn't just do a power play in Egypt and then leave us there to fend for ourselves. See, you and I, we would be among these women who were very young in our faith very impressionable with much to learn about God, much to learn about who we were as his daughters. But as we traveled under those pillars, we would learn who he is. We would see that the God on that dramatic day of rescue was also the God of our daily rescue. We would see that the salvation of Egypt was actually just flowing right into the sanctification of the desert. This would be imperative for his people. This would be crucial that they would learn who God is. Yet while they learned it, they would also learn that God is not always going to behave as expected. They're gonna learn that God is not always what they expect. It says in verse 17, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, that was shorter, For God said, if they faced war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. Verse 18, so God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. Okay, pause. If there was a road trip planning committee, which there wasn't, if there was, and if it was made of women, here's what I would expect. We leave Egypt, we make a beeline for Canaan. Right? We make a beeline for the promised land. Let's make a plan. Let's be efficient. Let's count our steps while we do it. We've got places to be, namely paradise. Let's go, ladies. That's not what happened, though. It says that God took them on the long road. So I suppose if we were there, that what you and I and all of the daughters of God would learn about God is that he sees from a completely different perspective, doesn't he? Maybe what you and I would learn is that God knows what his children do not. God took them on the long road because he was protecting them. See, he knew that their knowledge of God and their knowledge of self was not yet strong enough to withstand the enemies. And because it wasn't so much about where they were going, but about whose they were becoming. And so these people would need to learn that for that to happen, they would have to follow God. And as is often the case with Emmanuel, the long road is what is best for us. So if you and I were traveling together, we would have to learn that hard lesson that Emmanuel— doesn't just mean we get the good life. Following Emmanuel doesn't just mean that life goes as expected, that life is easier. It doesn't mean that we hit our milestones and our expectations for life. We graduate here, we get married here, we have kids here. Life gets easy here. That's not what they were signing up for when they followed Emmanuel. God with us means... We have the invitation to follow him. I wonder if for some of you, this Christmas feels like a detour on an already long road of 2018. Maybe the days of this year have felt drawn out and you don't feel like you have gained ground on anything. Your healing, your marriage, your goals. You don't feel like you are progressing or moving forward at all. Could we be women who game up for the long road with God? Could we be the women who are okay with delayed gratification, delayed arrival at our goals and expectations, and instead lean into the process of learning who God is? Could we believe that Emmanuel knows what we do not, that he sees a much bigger and clearer picture than we see? Could you believe that he has protection and goodness packed into the long road? The Israelites journey then takes a turn for the apparent worse. When the long road lands them between rock and a hard place. See what has happened? They've left Egypt in haste. God leads them on the long road and it leaves them right in front of the Red Sea, this huge body of water. And then here's what happens. It says that Pharaoh changes his mind. His heart is hardened and he decides to chase down the Israelites. It says, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They have this huge body of water at their back, and now a vengeful enemy closing in on them. What happens? Well, of course, everybody panics. Faith evaporates, doubt escalates. Everybody panics. And they start talking about how they should have stayed in Egypt. They start talking about how life was better in Egypt. Something that they would say on repeat throughout the years. So what does God do in this time? Verse 19, then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to to the other, so that neither went near the other all night long. This is so cool, do you you get what happens? The presence of God moves from up in front of his people to behind them, creating a barrier between them and the Egyptians. It says it was darkness on the side of the Egyptians, light on the side of God's children. From this, I see that God with us, Emmanuel, his presence reveals what is within us. As Emmanuel tells us about God, it also teaches us about ourself. And that order is so important. It's Calvin who says, aside from the knowledge of God, there is no knowledge of self. Do you hear that detail here? It says, throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the side of the Egyptians. So picture that. And then light on the side of God's people the darkness on the side of the Egyptians was revealing their hard, dark hearts towards God. The light on the side of the, Egypt, of the Israelites confirmed that they were God's children, that they were his treasured possession. What do we learn from God's nearness? Well, it is by God's presence that, we, that the condition of our heart is revealed. It is by God's presence that the condition of our heart is revealed. So let's ask ourselves this question tonight, ladies. How do you respond to the nearness of God? What comes out of you when you encounter God's presence? Maybe it's a bit of an ethereal question. So let's get some boots on the ground. This is an illustration I've used before, but... I think we're gonna go there again. So imagine with me, think of the cutest one and a half year old you can think of, okay? I'll give you a second, think of him. How does that one and a half year old respond when her mama walks in the room? Joy, right? Excitement! And that little guy moves those chubby little legs as fast as they can to get nearer still to their mom. And then when they get there, what do they do? Up, 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 up. And they want to get closer still. And then once they're up there, they grab the neck. They lay a big sloppy kiss on their mom. See, their mom's nearness has pulled out what is already inside of them. That they love their mom. That they are dependent on their mom. Can I get an amen? The nearness of that mother pulls out what is already within that child. Love, pendants. How does a 15-year-old girl respond when the parent walks in the room? Let's raise the stakes. Maybe this 15-year-old girl has had a horrible week and she has her period. How does she respond when the mom or the dad walks in the room? How could you? How dare you walk in this room? Or maybe it's just silence, just stonewall, just stiff shoulders, moves away, gets as much distance as possible, right? Immediately that, that parent's love, that parent's, that parent's presence makes that poor teenager harden and feel uncomfortable. We can laugh if we're not in that season right now. <laughs> Those of you who are, sorry. Maybe that falls short for you guys. Let's try another illustration. How does a dog respond when you get home from work, right? How does a lab respond when you walk in from work or class or the grocery store? Oh my goodness, you're home! I have missed you! And they jump over on us and jump up on us maybe if they're a not well-trained dog. They're so happy and then what do they do? They run off to get you a ball or a stick or some kind of love offering and they bring it to you because why just because you're you and because they love you what's a cat do how dare you this is my turf i need distance unless they need something right then they get all up on you and they rub on you demanding that you love them the way they want to be loved And if you don't what do they do bite your hand while you're patting them what are you ladies are you a cat or are you a dog are you that sweet pudgy one and a half year old who just draws near to god or are you that hurting teenager that feels uncomfortable and hard and defensive when god makes his nearness known it's a good question for us to ask what does god's presence reveal about our hearts do we have hard hearts as the year draws to a close what has been coming out of you when you encounter the nearness of god I think that Christmas can escalate this sometimes. I don't know if it's the busy schedule or if it's almost like all the emotions of the year kind of come to a climactic head. Maybe it's the extended family time, but the season that is so often advertised as joyful and triumphant is anything but. And we find ourselves hardening, we find ourselves jaded, And instead of triumphant, to be honest, we feel defeated. We find ourselves withdrawing from the nearness of God. What do we do if that's us this year? What do we do if this season we see that we have hardness in our hearts? We pray. We pray. And we hope that God would take what is hard in us and make it soft. That God would take what is dark in us and make it light. We hope and we believe the promise when God says that he takes hearts of stone and turns them into hearts of flesh. our story now turns to a bit of a more familiar scene. God breathes a great wind over the Red Sea, splitting the waters, making a new road through the desert for his people. So he's gone from in front of them to behind them, and then he breathes the wind over these waters. What we see from this is that not just do we learn about God, Not just do we learn about ourselves, but because God is with us, we need to keep moving forward in faith. When we rightly understand Emmanuel, we are obliged to act and to move. Specifically, what I see first in this text is that God's people needed to put distance between themselves and the Egyptians. So here's what God knew that they didn't at this time they needed a rear guard more than they needed leading at that time they needed a barrier between them and the sin that wanted to kill them the enemy that they were very vulnerable to remember they are young in their faith and so when a crisis hit their weakness shows their doubt escalates remember they're saying we should have stayed in egypt we should have stayed in slavery They quickly forgot what they had learned about who God was. They quickly forgot what they had learned about themselves. So what does God do? He graciously comes in and separates them from the nightmare of their past, the nightmare that they were considering returning to. So if you and I were there, would we get it? Would we get what was going on? Would we see that the God who separated darkness from light, the God who separated the waters from the dry land in Genesis was doing it again, that he was coming and he was separating his daughters from the slavery that they were so accustomed to. He was closing that path backwards. He was blocking it, protecting them from regressing back into slavery. It's like our song for the night says, open wide our heavenly home make safe the way that leads on high, and close the path to misery. That's what God was doing for his people at the Red Sea. He was blocking them from regressing back into the chains of yesterday. Do we need to hear that tonight? Do we need Emmanuel to be our rear guard tonight? Do you need him to come and be this barrier between you and the sins of yesterday? Or do you need him to deter that despair, that depression that seems to be chasing you down? See, Emmanuel has come so very near to his people that he staves off that darkness that wants to steal, that wants to kill, that wants to destroy us, ladies do you need a rear guard this season? I know that I do. I think I can be so sure about about who God is. I can be sure about who I am as his daughter. But when a crisis hits, when the future is so very unknown to me, I start to slip backwards. I start to pick up the chains that I wore years ago. Why? Because that's known. Because that's, comfortable and because i'm hearing these lies that that is safer than wherever emmanuel might lead and so i put on these chains of people pleasing or trying to control life or letting fear guide my days i need the presence of god to hold off the enemy to block my path backwards do you need the same this christmas Emmanuel, God with us, means God leads us and we're invited to follow him. It also means he hems us in, in front and behind and his hand is upon us. Do you see how this story can be mapped on to the Christmas story? Are you hearing maybe kind of the undertones of Christmas in this? Because the shadow from Exodus 13 does look a lot like Christmas. Follow me with this. Think about it. Thousands of years after the scene at the Red Sea, God's people would find themselves in need of rescue again, wouldn't they? Here they were pressed hard under the tyranny of not just Roman rule, but under the tyranny of sin. They have found themselves captives once again. There they are, again, exiled, far from home, far from paradise, spiritually. They are without the nearness of God, wondering, have we lost the nearness of God forever? And so God comes again after hundreds of years of silence. And on the night divine, what does he do? He pierces the darkness. He slashes the darkness. God comes near, invading Bethlehem, with his kingdom. But this time he does not come as a cloud. This time he does not come as a pillar of fire. He comes as a baby. God with us, God to the rescue. The people living in darkness saw a great light. The people living in the land of the shadow of death, to them a light has dawned. See, in this Emmanuel baby, they learned who God was. And they learned who they were, no longer slaves, but sons and daughters of the Most High God. But men like Herod and men like Pharaoh, those who opposed him, they would harden and they would bristle at his nearness. But the orphans and the widows and the herding. And the homeless, to them, his nearness meant comfort, and it meant hope. Jesus didn't just move into Bethlehem to save them and then call it good, but they would learn that he was also inviting them into sanctification. See, he brought salvation, but then what did he do? He invited the shepherds. And he invited the magi to follow him and the fishermen and then the prostitutes and then you and then me he invites us not just to his salvation but to follow him follow him in that space between our salvation and our glory our rescue and our inheritance the years and the miles between our egypt and our promised land So is there instruction here in this story for us? Is there something that we can grab a hold of and be changed women this month? Well, sometimes his presence is so familiar to us that it loses its wonder, right? Sometimes it's so familiar that it's actually just been downgraded to like this really comfy blanket that we cuddle up with rather than allow it to be a fire within us and under us the most familiar of stories lose their wonder and we find ourselves cuddled up with God thinking that the end goal of his nearness is just comfort and joy ladies it absolutely means comfort and joy hear me say that the nearness of God God with us it means comfort for me it means joy for you but it is the kind of comfort and joy that refuses us to stay put, that refuses us to stay where we are. His presence propels us to move forward, to move forward in faith. It propels us to put some distance between ourselves and our sins. Isn't this where the Israelites were? I mean, go back there one more time with with me. The pillars have now moved from in front to behind. What that meant if that fire was behind them as a rear guard, they had to walk through the Red Sea on their own. They had to move forward through that Red Sea with God at their back, with his presence at their back. How daunting would that have been? See, God was calling them to respond to his nearness and faith by moving forward as his people, not just standing there and gawking at his presence, but by moving forward. So how do we do this? I mean, how could we ever do that? How could we move through the waters when fear is daunting, when anxiety is rising? See, maybe we know that God is there. Maybe we're churched enough or we know our Bible's, Well, enough. We know that God is there in theory, but the future is so dark. It is so uncertain. Maybe that next step of obedience is daunting. Maybe that forgiveness that you are supposed to extend just looks like too much. That next level of commitment at church. Too much. How do we find the faith, ladies, to take that next step? To take that next step away from our old way of life, away from the way of hardness, apathy, addiction. The people of God at the shores of the Red Sea had to walk forward with the presence of God at their back. What was their strategy? What could our strategy be as we turn to a new year? I think it is to look back. Look back and see God's presence there. As you move forward in faith, look over your shoulder. Look back at the times when God has dealt faithfully with you. Look back, see when God's goodness paved a way for you. Look back, remember, when he saved you, when he removed those chains, when he removed that despair, when he conquered that anxiety. Look back. Spurgeon says it like this, one of my favorite quotes. What is more is that these people, the people at the Red Sea scene, They had God so near with them. If only they did, but look back. Earnestly, I desire you to think of this. If you cannot see the Lord right before you, and you are very dull and heavy, I pray you, look back and see how the Lord has helped you hitherto. Sit not down with your eyes shut, but look back, steadily observe the past. What see you there, ladies? Loving kindness, and tender mercy, and nothing else. If you cannot see God before you, ladies, as you look into a new year, look back. See the tender mercy. See the loving kindness, and nothing else. God is with you. He is Emmanuel the God who is with his people in the Exodus and in the manger and with you tonight. So what do we do as women who have been rescued by God? Well, the song instructs us pretty clearly. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel has come to thee. Our greatest need and our greatest joy is the nearness of god so we we've got we get so confused about this when we were little this time of the year what was our greatest need our greatest joy it was that barbie right and then a couple years later we were so sure that it was the hair straightener that really great hair straightener that could fix this and a couple years later what i what was i so sure was my greatest need my greatest joy a boyfriend right we are often so wrong about what our greatest joy is. Now that we're grown, don't we believe it's the bonus or it's the bigger house? We think we'll be happy if we have a husband or a better husband, if we receive an apology. But our greatest need is the nearness of God. That is the story of the Bible. The presence of God. This Christmas baby, he is the wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God. He has come to thee. This Christmas baby, he is the everlasting father. He is veiled in flesh and he has come to thee. He lights our path when the way is dark. He he comforts us from the heat of life when it is beating down on us. His presence is our rear guard protecting us from the temptation to return to sin. So rejoice. Rejoice, ladies, as we look onward. This presence refuses us to stand still. He has come near. He remains near with you. He will come again. He is with you if you are walking the long road. He is with you as you traverse chaotic waters. He's with you and he's with me and he's with the woman sitting next to you as we near our promised land, as we head home. He's with us. It's really good news for us. So let's rejoice. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the wonder of the familiar and the shadow of it through the Bible as a whole. God, thank you so much for the women in this room. Thank you that you love them and that you call them by name. But Lord, we set aside this time. We take this moment and we ask you to show us what is within us. God, I confess so many parts of my heart are hard. There is still unforgiveness in my heart. God, there is pride that just hardens corners of my heart, things that I think can remain so hidden. But God, when you come near and I see how loving you are, I see you as Father, I see you as holy, I am stilled. And then when the mirror turns on me and what I see is not very flattering, God, when I see my unbelief, God, when I see the sins, my addictions, when I hear myself say, oh, it would be better in Egypt. God, you reveal so much to us about ourselves. You see more of our thoughts, you see more of our feelings, you understand us better than we could ever understand ourselves. Oh, but Lord, would you lift our eyes to who you are? Would we not stay there just reflecting on ourselves, but would we lift our eyes? Would we hear the good news? That you are a God who splits waters, who makes new ways through the desert. You are the God who is with us on the long road in the dark night. You are with us in these years and in these days of mundane faithfulness and you are inviting us to move forward in faith. God, would you loose the shackles on our ankles that make us wanna stay on the shore of the Red Sea. Help us to stop playing it so safe with you, but move us forward, God. Bid us come nearer to you. And as we come near, Lord, may you wash us of our hardness. That part of our heart that says, we will just give you part of our lives. God, that part of our heart that is just so frustrated that life is not going as expected. Do your sanctifying work, Lord, because of your mercy, because of your rich mercy, because of your grace. Do a work as we pass through these waters, wash us. Lord, take our hearts of stone, turn them to hearts of flesh, that we would be women who rejoice that you have come near, that we would be women who draw all the more close to you. God, you're trustworthy, you're good. God, you are faithful even when we're not. You're faithful daily, but God, big picture, you are our rescue. Christmas highlights this and so we lean in. We want more of you. Do your work in us as this year closes. Do your work, Lord, free us from what wants to make us a slave again. Help us to walk forward as your daughters who are known, who are loved and may joy and comfort come. May we find that we can be joyful and triumphant no matter what life holds, no matter how much we've been mistreated, no matter how long we've been saying the same prayer. Lord, lift our heads, lift our eyes to the glory of your rescue.